Pray with me. Father, I do ask that you would help us to believe those words, that you are worthy. Even as we look at our world and we look at our own lives, God, I pray that we would trust you, that we would delight in you, and that you would make us ever more into the likeness of your son. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I did it again. Yep, you know. Again, right? That, that list of things that you swore you would never do again. I'm never going to respond that way again. I'm never going to take it so personally again. I'm never going to turn to food or drink or stuff or Netflix or my phone to make me feel better about myself again. Never again. Until, you know, until you do it again. And here's the thing, like, you have your list, I have mine, right? The, the, the list of things, I mean, whatever you call that list, like, all of us, regardless of whether you believe any of the stuff that we're talking about this morning, like, we have a list of things that we wish were not true about us, and we say, okay, I'm not going to do it again. And, and so maybe, maybe for you, it's like, you're not going to gossip anymore, or, or look at porn anymore. You're not, you're not going to let fear control you anymore. You're not going to manipulate the people you love anymore. You're not going to do it anymore. Until the next time. This is what we do, isn't it? We try and then fail. We try and then fail again. We make promises to ourselves, to God, to others. And we fail again. And after a few rounds of this super fun cycle, right, I tend to go one of either three directions. One was just like self-justification. Like, ah, it's probably not that bad anyway. You know, what was I, what was I so worried about? I'm just going to lean into this vice. It's okay. Or, or I go to apathy. Well, it's just who I am. People around me need to adjust. It's just part of who I am. Or third, and if I'm honest, this is probably where I go the most. I just look at them here and think, you worthless. Like, how could anybody love you? You know, that, that place of despair and self, self-loathing where it's like, you lousy waste of skin, right? But I, either way, regardless of the path, right, we give up. We just, we throw in the towel, we sort of resign ourselves like last year's royals to always losing. And we just give up, don't we? But, but what if I, what if I told you you don't have to lose anymore? I mean, you'd think I was selling something, wouldn't you? That's, that's way too good to be true. And I get it. Like, I struggle as well to believe it. But hear this. You don't have to lose anymore. You don't, you don't have to. Now, now, now let, me, let me be clear. I'm not, I'm not offering perfection here. I'm not saying there won't be relapses or failure. And I'm certainly not saying any of this is going to be easy. But don't miss this. Whatever it is, that thing in your life, you don't have to lose anymore. And, and the, reason, the reason I say this is because of one of, I think, one of the weirdest stories about Jesus in the Bible. It's a weird story. In fact, it's, it's one of those stories that no one, no one was around for when it happened. And so it means that like, Jesus must have gone out of his way at some point to tell this to his disciples. 
Like it was that, it was that important to him that at some point he, he sat them down for, for their sake and for ours. He wants us to know this. And so I imagine him one day sitting down with his disciples. Hey, did I ever tell you about the time when I was really tempted? Luke records this story for us in Luke chapter 4. Our scripture reading this morning is Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Why don't you stand for me one more time here? Let's stand together as we read this. Luke chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command the stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. And Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And, and Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Have a seat. Jesus won, so we don't have to lose anymore. Now, we're studying the Gospel of Luke here early on in the, in the new year. We're going to be in Luke for quite a while. Uh, and we've, we've called this series Rediscovering Jesus because we're trying to take a, sort of a fresh look at him. And in, in chapter 4, we're not very far in the story, right? He's still like brand new as, as Messiah. And so even, let me just give a little context here. So he was just baptized, right? We saw that last week. He was declared by God himself to be the Son of God. Then Luke records his human genealogy, Right? kind of the who begat who sort of, sort of section, uh, that he is son of God, but he's also son of Adam. Luke goes all the way back to, to Adam. So he is like us, but not like us. He's son of God and son of Adam. And then Luke tells us in chapter 4, you can just follow along as I kind of retell the story if you want to, but and filled with the, the spirit of God, it says, he enters the wilderness. It's sort of my idea of a, of a good vacation, uh, but I don't, I don't think that's what's going on here, right? Because Jesus goes, and for 40 days in the wilderness, he eats nothing. And what's interesting to, to point out here is that there are parallels in this story between what we see here and what we saw when we were studying Genesis last year at this time in the Garden of Eden, Right? Like, both temptations are very, are very similar. There's, there's parallels. And in, in, in the garden, Adam and Eve, like, they were the original children of God, so to speak. And they blew it. And now here we have the Son of God. Like, how, how is he going to do? And, and Luke, Luke tells us that Jesus was hungry. Like, of course he was, right? I mean, you can just imagine being in that circumstance. And the devil, the devil tempts him just as the serpent tempted Adam and Eve. 
just, just take a bite. Isn't it interesting that even with both, both of the stories, they, they center around food, of all things? Like, just, just take that bite of fruit. Just take that morsel of bread. I mean, we are such physical creatures, aren't we? And so temptation number one, Jesus, turn this stone into bread. Aren't you hungry? Like, you, you've earned it, Jesus. Eat! But Jesus says, food is not the most important thing. My desires are not the most important thing. I can feast on God's word. Temptation two, fine, Jesus, don't eat, whatever. But look around. All the kingdoms of the world, all the riches, power, and glory, they are mine. And I will give them to you. You can be king without the cross. All you got to do is worship me. But Jesus is like, nah, bro, I'm good. Worship God only. In temptation three, he takes Jesus up to the, to the height of the temple there in Jerusalem, right? Where the climax of the story is, is soon going to come. And he says, like, Jesus, I bet if you jump off, God's not going to let you get hurt. Like, there's going to be swarms of angels. They're going to come, and everybody's going to see it. Like, what a show that'll be, Jesus. And people will believe in you. It'll be easy as that. All you have to do is jump. But Jesus says, I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to do it. In verse 13, and when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Okay? Great, super weird. Let's be honest. It's kind of a weird story. But like, what does that have to do with us? Like, why did Jesus tell his disciples? And why did Luke write this story down for us? Well, I think, I think for three reasons. First, this story reminds us that the battle is worse than we think. The battle is worse than we think. And yet you and I, like when we look at our temptations, our proclivities, you know, or maybe at the evil in the world around us, we minimize it and we rationalize. It's not that bad, right? It's fine. It's okay. Or, you know, we just, we think, well, if we could just educate more people, like that'll fix it. If I could just get over this hurt, if that person would stop being so terrible, if my spouse would only do this, if I, if I would just try a little bit harder. Like every one of those statements is, is us saying, you know, it's, it's really not that bad. My sins aren't that bad. Our world's not that bad. But if you, if you feel that way, why don't you test that theory? Like, if, if your sin isn't that bad, then why haven't you stopped? Like, have you thought about that way? And, and again, whether you refer to these things as sins or not, the things in your life that you wish weren't there, that you wish you could change, we all have things we don't like about ourselves. If so, why haven't you stopped? For it's only when we try to stop and then fail, and then try some more, and then fail. Like, it's only then that we realize how powerful they are in our lives. How little control we have. And, it, and it's not just the power of temptation that we minimize, though we certainly do. We also minimize the power of the tempter. That there is actually a spiritual, personal being devoted to your destruction. Like, think about that for a moment. 
Because, like, listen, if you, if you are fighting sin, if you're trying to, to do that hard work to stop, whatever it is, like, you need to realize that there is someone out there who is smarter than you, stronger than you, who understands temptation way better than you do, right? He's been doing this a long time. Who even knows your own weaknesses and proclivities better than you do, and he is rooting against you, seeking to devour you. And I, I realize, for some of you, you've just like tuned me out. It's like, that's just ridiculous, right? We quickly sort of jump to these uh, foolish images like, you know, Homer Simpson with a devil on his shoulder, right? Um, that's what, we, that's what we imagine, right? We just, it's, sort of, it's just ridiculous. But like, that, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying, nor, nor am I saying that this gives us a pass. You know, well, the devil made me do it. Well, I'm pretty sure you had a hand in it, right? Okay, that's, not, that's not what we're saying. And I know, I know this kind of thing is really, really hard for us to believe, but haven't you had those moments when temptation just sort of inexplicably comes crashing down on you? And you don't even know, how, like, all of a sudden you're just in this place, and it's like, oh man, or, or haven't you ever like surprised yourself? Like, boy, I didn't, I didn't know I could respond like that. I, I didn't know that I could give in to whatever it was so easily. Like, it just sort of happens. We, sometimes we, we sense that that's, that's happening around us. Or, or even just broadly, you turn on the news, and you see that a passenger plane has been accidentally downed by one of the most volatile nations right now in our world at one of the most volatile times. And don't you at least occasionally get the sense, like, isn't there, is there someone out there laughing at us? Seeking to destroy us? And yet, we tend to, to treat our sin a bit like the North originally treated the South in the Civil War. We've, we've got some uh, artwork at our, uh, our gallery downtown, at the downtown campus. If you want to visit it, it's of Civil War battlefields and different things like that. It's going to be up through, through February. You can go for First Fridays if you're, if you're interested in that. But like, listen to this. Like, the first major battle of the Civil War, like the first big one, uh, first battle of Bull Run outside of D.C., right, in the Manassas area, like the North was so confident that this was going to be such an easy battle that people went out to watch. Like, like, at, like it was a football game. Like they brought picnics and children and champagne because they just assumed, man, as soon as it starts, the South is going to run and it's going to be great. The war will be over and we can celebrate. But like the North was crushed that day. I mean, it was bloody carnage as soldiers and civilians fled for their lives. Worst picnic ever, right? And it would take four years and 620,000 lives for that war to end. But I tell you what, that's, that's what I do. Like, I bring a picnic basket to my temptation, right, to whatever it is. I just want to watch the show. I treat my sin as if it's nothing. God help us. The battle is worse than we think. And we see it lived out in this moment with Jesus in the wilderness. And yet there's hope in the second thing. Here's, here's the second thing that we learn from this, this weird story of Jesus here. Is that he already won. He already one. He resisted what Adam and Eve was unable to do, what you and I are consistently unable to do, where we have failed, Jesus succeeds. And I realize for some of us, we're like, well, yeah, but he's God. I mean, come on. Like, 
Of course he did. Like, when we just kind of dismiss it, it's like, what, that has nothing to do with me. Like, of course, of course he resisted. But don't forget, like, Luke reminded us he is also human. He is a son of Adam. And he gets it. In fact, I love, I love the way C.S. Lewis describes it for us. He writes, I think we have it up here. He says, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. Only those who try to resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find, out how the, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting against it, not by giving in. You find out the strength of a wind by trying to walk against it, not by lying down. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse inside us until we try to fight it. And Christ, because he was the only man who never yielded to temptation, is also the only man who knows to the full what temptation means. The only complete realist. Like because he resisted, he actually understands temptation better than anybody else in this room because with our temptation, we've at least had a moment of relief because we've given in. But Jesus never got that relief. He understands what we go through. And, and just even think for a moment about the core of his, of his, of his temptation. Now look, back, look back in the Bible there uh, at your text. Like the devil, essentially, all of those temptations is, is Satan tempting Jesus to be the Messiah without the cross. To be king without suffering, to rule without redeeming. Which, on the one hand, seems like a pretty, pretty sensible thing to do, right? And yet, Jesus resists, not just for himself, but for us. To rescue us. And I, and I would bet, for many of us at this moment, there's not been a whole lot of surprises in this sermon, maybe. It's like, yeah, okay, the battle's bad, and I, I probably do minimize it, rationalize it. We, we, most of us agree with that, at least in theory. Or, or, and we might say, yeah, Jesus won, I get that, right? And we're glad about that. But we kind of we leave it there as if all Jesus did for us was forgive us and give us a place to go and we die. And it's certainly not less than that. But that's, that tends to be where, where we stop. And so we resign ourselves. That means life is just going to stink. I'm, I'm stuck with who I am. I'm always going to be a loser. I'm always going to give in. I can't really change or really grow. But church, that is not our story. That's not this story, and that doesn't have to be your story. Jesus won so that we can win too. And that's really the third thing where I want to spend the rest of our time together, here, that we actually can, because Jesus did it, we can do it. And again, I don't, I don't mean perfection. I don't mean that there's not going to be relapses along the way, nor am I saying that any of this is going to be easy. But this story shows us that we actually can resist. We can change. We can grow. For yourself, for the people around you, you don't have to lose anymore. Okay, but how, right? How do we do this? Well, I think we need to take a moment here and look at Jesus' practices and not just his precepts. We often focus on his precepts, right? His teaching, the things that he said to do. And we often don't look very closely. Well, what did he, what did he actually do? What were his practices, his habits? Like, how, like, what are the things that he did that made him strong enough to be able to say no? I think there are three things here that can help us as well. That like Jesus, we can train our bodies, our minds, 
in our hearts. And I want to spend the rest of our time here because I want this to be practical for us. Our bodies, our minds, and our hearts. Train your body, first of all, to fight sin. Your body. And that, that might surprise some of us in this room because, like, isn't temptation spiritual? I mean, shouldn't I just pray more or something like that? Like, we want to keep it sort of in the spiritual realm. And yet, like Jesus, like, we are whole beings. Jesus is a whole being, physical and spiritual. And if you want to fight spiritual sin, you need to train your physical body. Jesus fasts. Like, don't, don't miss that here. Like, he denies himself a legitimate need. I mean, there's nothing wrong with food. You can eat. It's, it's fine, right? We know that. And yet he denies himself something his body truly needs. And when we do that, we train ourselves to be able to deny ourselves when it really matters. I mean, think about it this way. If you can resist food, which your body actually needs, then surely you can resist something that your body merely desires, Right? I mean, fasting is a way in which we, we teach our desires who's in charge. Where, where we, we say, no, my body is not my master. Jesus is my master. That you, you say with fasting, write to your desires. I don't have to buy that. I don't have to look at that. I don't have to say that. I don't have to cheat anymore or lie anymore. I don't have to gossip anymore. You, you say that to your desires. That you can deny yourself. And listen, like, this is so important culturally because we don't deny ourselves anything, do we? Like, if we want it, we get it. That's just what we do. But what's so interesting to me is that Jesus in the Gospels, he just assumes that his people are going to fast. Doesn't he? He says in, in, in Matthew, he says, when you fast, not if, to his people, when you fast, when you deny yourself, and when you fast, you learn a ton about yourself. You really do. In fact, a few months ago, this was Kelly's idea, I assure you. Um, we decided that she and I were going to fast most Monday nights, just not have dinner Monday nights. So have lunch and then breakfast the next day. And we sit you know, with our kids and watch them eat, which is super creepy and weird, and they love it. Um, but we're, you know, for family time and all that. And, and we've been doing this now for a couple months, and you know, it's not every Monday, but maybe you know, three or four months. And, and let me just tell you, I absolutely hate it. Like, I hate it. I still, I mean, we've been doing it for a while. I hate it. Like, it reminds me how angry I get. Because that anger, anger is there. Like, the food just kind of, like, smooths it over a little bit, right? <laughs> It reminds me how selfish I am, how impatient I can become. More than that, actually the worst part is that it has reminded me every Monday how much I depend on food to make me happy, to give me satisfaction. Let me tell you, that's been really good for me. I hate it, but like it, it, it reminds me that my ultimate hunger is for something that food can never satisfy. And people, we need that reminder. We need it regularly, we need it often, we need to be able to deny ourselves. And Jesus here, he doesn't just fast for himself. I love that. He fasts for others, like for us. Like he resists temptation for us. And so I want to I encourage us this week. Maybe you saw the card as you came in this morning on your, on your seat. We want to do this together as a church across campuses to find a day. We said Wednesday on there, but if that doesn't work for you, to just to fast. Whether it's a, a whole day or just a meal, 
But to just say, you know what? Food's not my boss. My body's not my boss. My desires are not my boss. Jesus is. Now, if, you know, obviously for medical reasons, if that doesn't work out, if you're a kid, maybe there's something else you can give up, right? Give up social media or internet or TV or whatever, right? You can find something else. But even, even as, as Reed prayed a few moments ago, right? Today is Sanctity of Life Sunday, and we remember the injustice against the unborn, and uh, tomorrow is Martin Luther King, and we remember the past and present injustices uh, around our, our country in regards to race. Like, and we, we want to we feel that, right? We want to cry out to God for that. And so I'd encourage you to take some time this week and do that. I mean, may we hunger for justice like we hunger for food. May we fast to cry out for justice. Fast to learn who you are, right? The self-discovery. Fast to remind yourself that God has something better in store for you than food. You know, sometimes I think we sort of assume in this story that this must have been Jesus' moment of greatest weakness, right? Hangry Jesus. Lay off me, I'm starving, right? We kind of imagine that of him. I can't help but wonder if this is actually his moment of greatest strength. Train your body. Second, train your mind. Train your mind. And this idea of training is so important, isn't it? Because we, we automatically default into, well, I'm just going to do better, right? That's, that is how we answer everything. Any, any failure, I'm just going to do better, right? And we're like the boxer who keeps getting pummeled match after match. Well, I'm going I'm to fight better next time, right? Well, maybe in the meantime, you should train better, Right? And that's, that's us, though, isn't it? For many of us, like, well, I know I gave in, but next time I'm just going to punch the devil harder, right? It's like, no, you need to train harder. Train your mind. Well, where do we, where do we see Jesus' mind in this story? Well, it's in solitude with God's word. Solitude with God's word. Like, like fasting, solitude opens our minds to who we really are. It helps us pay attention to what we're paying attention to. It helps us ask the question, yeah, I lost my temper, but why? Or yeah, I act like this, but why? Like, what's behind it? Henry Nouwen, in his book on solitude, he describes what happens to us in, in those moments of, of quiet, right? He, he, he writes about the, a person who's, who stepped out of solitude. He says, the shell of his superficial securities was cracked, and the abyss of iniquity was opened to him. It's why we hate silence, right? It's why we can't put our phones down or, or turn off the music or the TV. Like, it's, it's why even though we can't stand the noise, we can't imagine life without it. Solitude cracks our superficial securities and it opens the abyss of our iniquities. Sounds fun, right? But it makes us conscious of what's really going on inside us. We need it. And did you, did you notice as well that with every temptation that comes Jesus' way, he counteracts it with Scripture? I think it's so fascinating. I mean, Jesus could have said whatever he wanted to say, right? But each time he, he quotes Scripture back to the accuser. And like, if, if Jesus does that, like, how much more do we need God's Word to inform our minds, to tell us what is true, what is right, what is good, what is beautiful? Like to counteract the, the lies that are constantly hurled against us. We need this book and we need it in our heart. I mean, I shared, I shared a few months ago 
just how anxiety has been kind of a new thing that I've been struggling with. I've got lots of struggles. I just felt like a new one in my life more recently. It's just sort of been there. And I'm not, I'm not offering an easy fix. I know it's, it's complex. There's often lots of things that go into this. But one small thing that I've tried doing is just memorizing a few scripture passages. And so when I feel my anxiety beginning to control me, beginning to take over me, I can stop for a moment and say, yeah, but Nathan, blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose hope is in him. He will be like a tree planted by streams of water that never, never loses its color, right? That never stops bearing fruit. And that's not a fix. Like, it doesn't fix anything, but it just gives me a moment to remind myself what God says about me and who I actually am and what my problems really are. Or, you know... For me, like if I can't sleep at night, I put Psalm 23 on repeat in my mind. Over and like a lullaby. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Over, and, until I just like drift off, like somewhere in the middle of it. I just totally do that. But it helps me train my mind. We need God's word to tell us what is true to counteract the lies of the evil one. But most importantly, so yeah, train your body, yes, train your mind. Most importantly, we have to train our hearts. I think this is the hardest one in many ways because it's the least tangible of the other ones. But the heart is the real battleground. It's the place of our identity. It's the place of our deepest longings and desires. But you see, this is, I think this is easy to miss in this story. Because Jesus resists here, not simply because he's trained his body and mind. Again, it's important. Those, those will help you, but they're not going to accomplish it for you. Jesus resists because he knew in his heart who he was. We forget about the context of this story. I don't think it's accidental uh, the way that, that Luke structures this for us. Remember, go back to the story. Like, remember where, where it was, what happened before this, right? That immediately before the story, Luke gives us the genealogy of Jesus. I mean, why here? Why is that here? Why is it not back in the birth, right? Well, I think it's because Luke wants us to know that who this guy is. That this, he's like us. He's human like us. But this, this is a new Adam. The old Adam blew it. But this Adam is going to succeed where, where the old Adam, right, our, our old father, our old ancestor failed us. Jesus is going to do better. But even before the genealogy, right, Jesus' baptism, where God himself, I mean, it's such a strange story as well, but God himself speaks and he says, this is my son and I'm pleased with him. And I'm convinced, like, that is, that is the fuel that Jesus had with him as he entered into this place of wilderness. He knew who he was. And he knew that God the Father was pleased with him. And confident in his, in his identity, rooted in his heart, and fueled by the Spirit. Don't miss that. That enabled Jesus to overcome. And because he overcame here in the wilderness, he would go to the cross. He would be tempted again in the garden. I think that's the opportune time that Luke is referring to there. When Once again, Jesus is like, really, the cross? Is that really what I have to do? And yet he resists that temptation, not just for himself, but for us, so that those who trust in him are now daughters and sons of this Adam, not that Adam. And that we, we now have a father. You and I, if you are in Christ, like you have a father who says of you, my son, and I am pleased with you. He says that of you right now. And as we train our hearts to rest in that truth, we begin to realize, slowly, yes, and there's no quick fixes, but we begin to realize, I don't, I don't need those other things anymore. I don't need to respond with anger. 
because God is going to take care of it. I don't need to respond with, with insecurity or fear because I know who I am. I don't, I don't have to give in. And, and sin begins to not just lose its appeal, but lose its power. For the same spirit who empowered Jesus there in the wilderness, the same spirit who rose Jesus from the dead, that same spirit lives in all who believe. We have his power within us, and you don't have to lose anymore. Brian Loretz, um, he was actually here uh, a few months ago, which is kind of fun, that picture is from here. Um, he's an author, he's a pastor. Listen to what he, what he writes about this. He says, Jesus is one who at his core can identify with, with us in our crucible of struggle. To women who have been victimized by the male power structures, Jesus responds by saying, me too. To men who struggle with the physiological yearnings of their loins, Jesus nods his head in solidarity. And as a fellow incarnational minority, Jesus stands with people of color, wrapping an arm around us and knowing exactly how it feels to be belittled and pillaged of ethnic dignity. Listen to how he sums it up. He says, I need this Jesus. Yes, I'm thankful for his deity but I'm also grateful for his humanity. Jesus is God enough to have overcome his temptations and yet human enough to relate to mine. Church, train your body. Train your mind. Train your heart. Jesus won! So we don't have to lose anymore. Let's pray. Father, even this moment, I, just, I recognize how easy it is to say those words and how hard it is to live them out. So God, I pray that yes, on the one hand, you would convict all of us of our sin, that we would see them once again, recognizing how deep and treacherous the battle is and all that's at stake. But also, would you give us great hope in you? Yes, in forgiveness for our failures, but hope that through the power of your spirit, we can change. And that you won, Lord Jesus, here in the wilderness, there in the garden of Gethsemane, and ultimately on the cross. That you won. And we don't have to lose anymore. We love you, Jesus. In Christ's name.